0: Choose not.
1: Good morning, friends. Good to be back with you today after a little hiatus uh, that uh, that I took to go visit my sister and uh, uh, perform a wedding that I did over in Ohio, and not Ohio, in Pennsylvania, and uh, close to Ohio, I was about to say. And uh, anyway, uh, it's just good to be back with you. Uh, we did record and, and broadcast on Thursday last week, and uh, yet I was concerned about uh, internet issues on Friday and Monday. So here we are, back with you on Tuesday. We are in Ephesians, the first chapter. Uh, we are in one of the sections of Scripture that has some of the most glorious doctrine, some of those glorious teaching uh, undergirding foundational truths of the Christian life. At the same time, the passage that we're in also has some of the. Per- most perplexing doctrines, some of the most challenging doctrines, and people will will run on either side of the doctrines uh, oftentimes uh, out of out of fear. And uh, you'll understand more of that as we get into some of the words that will come out here in in this morning's broadcast. Uh, but we have to face these words. Uh, What we will tell people is we take God's word at face value, as what it says, as what the text says, uh, and sometimes that leads us into perplexing situations. Uh, I mean, what I see happen oftentimes with some Christians is that Christians will, uh, you know, they'll go real, real hard, and, and so you have to take the Bible for what it says in certain passages and maybe pet passages. Uh, or when when they want to confront some of the moral issues of the day, and yet when there are perplexing doctrinal sections, they will dance around and say, well, it means something different than what it says. And I just want to suggest to you that no, we should treat it all the same. Uh, yes, there is allegory in the Bible. There is metaphor in the Bible, but by and large, most of the Bible is not allegory. Most of the Bible, is not metaphor. Most of it is meant to be taken uh, at its face value, and there are markers, there are signs, there are indicators in those places where we should take it uh, more metaphorically. And today, I, I just want to tell you, I think that we take the, the words that we're going to study, look at, and I am going to try to provide you with a a fair understanding uh, of things that that we really can't completely get our minds around, honestly, and uh, yet it's a place that we, I, I believe we have to land uh, if we're going to be fair and uh, true to the Scriptures. So again, glad to have you with me, uh, and uh, as we study here in the book of Ephesians, it's good to be back. Uh, last week, again, was a week of travel and missed a few days, got to visit with my sister, who is... uh being overtaken by cancer, I, I would I think that is a, a fair assessment. Uh, and uh, I'm hoping maybe for one, at least one more visit with her, uh, maybe two. We will see uh, if, if I can work that into, uh, into some travel. Uh, I will do that. <clears throat> then also a wedding from a, a girl that was a part of the Christian school that I was administrator of and, and then one of Carmen's dear friends growing up through high school. Carmen is my daughter, for those that might not know. And uh, so it was wonderful to be a part of officiating at their wedding ceremony uh, on Saturday afternoon. But here we are. We are in Ephesians. We are in the first chapter. Uh, again, if you have your own Bible, I encourage you to utilize your own Bible. Uh, get out a notebook, get out a pen. Uh, I, I And I will tell you that you may go away today both encouraged and perplexed, and uh, uh, and I I I will run some things up the flagpole for us in terms of uh, views and vantage points, approaches to this particular passage that we're in. We're going to pick up at verse three. We've already covered verse three, but I'm going to start there reading, and uh, we will read down through a section of scripture. Then I'm going to come back and begin to work my way through in some commentary. So Ephesians chapter three, verse one. When the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, even Christ. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, there were several repeated uh, phrases in this section, excuse me, and uh, we need to, we need to highlight those those repeated phrases. And again, this is a section we may spend the entire week just on the section because it is loaded right up with, with weighty. It is loaded right up with heavy. Uh, it is loaded right up with what could be considered perplexing themes and doctrines. Uh, but let me highlight a few things for you here. Uh, in this passage. to the In the very last verse that we read, verse 14, it said, to the praise of his glory. What God is doing, he is doing for the praise of his glory. Now, we you might say, now, isn't that kind of egotistical? Well, he is God. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of all things. And it would seem that if anyone would say, I deserve glory, it would be the God, the creator, the sustainer of all things. So Verse 14, it talks about to the praise of his glory. Verse 12 talks about uh, that we might be for the praise of his glory. Um, Just a few places. And then uh, it it also mentions uh, up in verse 9, things according to his pleasure. Um, But living for the praise of his glory, that what God does, God does for his own glory. What God does, he does so that, that men will revere him. He does so that men may regard him. He does so that he might be glorified. Friends, you and I, the, the purpose of our Christianity isn't our own pleasure. The purpose of our own Christianity isn't uh, uh, our own, you know, that so that we can go to heaven. The purpose of our Christianity, according to what we read in this passage, is to live to the praise of God's glory, that you and I would live there. Now, I want to start out by saying this. There are two approaches that people will tend to make at the gospel. One is a man-centered approach at the gospel, and the other is a God-centered approach at the gospel. The man-centered approach at the gospel is, uh, is will revolt at some of the things I am about to say, which I believe the text clearly says uh and if we believe the Bible, we have to accept these things uh if we're going to be consistent across the board in what we and what the bible says to us. The other approach is the god centered approach where God is doing what God is doing for because God is sovereign and God has the the prerogative of doing what he chooses to do uh for his own glory now sometimes we will say well well this doesn't look very glorious to me this 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 looks like god cut some people out this looks like you know god god is an ogre or but god is not an ogre god is all-wise god is all-loving and the things that you and i have gotten that, that perhaps are listening to this this morning, or whenever you're listening to this, uh, are uh, people who are beneficiaries of the mercy of God. In fact, all men are beneficiaries of the mercy of God in in the sense that all men right now are receiving the mercy of God, even if they're struggling, even if they are uh, it, afflicted with disease and sickness they are still under the mercy of God because according to God's holiness and according to God's righteous standard, God would have the prerogative of wiping everyone and everything out, bam, right now in his wrath because we do not meet the righteous standard. But yet God maintains a measure of mercy to everyone who is walking the earth right now that he does not wipe everyone out and cast everyone into eternal judgment right now. Everyone falls under the mercy of God uh, in that sense. But in addition to that, not only do do people get to experience the mercy of God, others who begin to understand the lavishness of the mercy of God, who begin to understand the depths of of the love of God, who begin to understand the sacrifice of the Savior, and who bow the knee to him in, in surrender and in faith, receive even more mercy. So God extends mercy to all at this point in time, and to those who believe in Christ, there is even more mercy which is extended. There is a God-centered gospel and a man-centered gospel, and the approach that you bring uh, based on your understanding of Scripture or based on your own preconceived notion of what the conclusion ought to be that then dictates what your theology will be, uh, that that will determine how you will view a passage like this. Friends, I want to suggest to you that I'm going to take a gospel-centered, I'm going to take a God-centered, I'm going to take a Christ-centered approach of what we have just read as I explain it. Uh, and what, what that means is uh, some will will feel like we're leaving people out, we're excluding people. What about the people who who aren't chosen, what about the, because those words do come out in this passage and they are grand themes, grand uh, uh, teachings uh, within the the realm and the world of theology. It started right out in verse four when it said to us these words, he chose us in him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, here are a few approaches at this verse. One approach is to understand the entirety of the sentence, and I believe in this particular word that is the right approach. Uh, In this particular word, the the approach to understand uh, it, it would be the entirety of the sentence or he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. How would we understand this? Uh, Some would get tripped up immediately over the word chose. Well, can I suggest to you that that this particular verse tells us that the choosing of people, the choosing of all mankind, God's... original created order was that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. And we know that God did give free will to man to choose that one thing that he was told in the garden to not do, that one thing which, if he did, would leave to would lead to peril, would lead to death, would lead to separation from God. And we know that Adam and Eve made that decision. Yet, God's desire, God's will, God's predetermined will, God's predetermined desire was that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. This tells us the goal of our lives the goal of our lives, the goal that God had for Adam and Eve, and that now uh, post-crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, after these things, we are reminded that we too have been chosen to be something. The the, the focus here is, is on the what are we to be not on the choosing, but on the what are we to be. God God chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. In other words, continuing to grow in likeness, continuing to grow more and more and more into the image of Christ, to be blameless in his sight. God chose us in him before the creation of the world, before God made anything. God desired that we would be holy and blameless, holy holy in character, holy in thought, holy in word, holy in deed, blameless. And it says blameless not only blameless in men's sight, but blameless in God's sight. We we can live with an image of being blameless in other people's sights, and yet if we know ourselves well and are honest with ourselves well, We often could say, but here are areas where I am not blameless in God's sight. Where is it that we're not blameless in God's sight? It might be in our thoughts. It might be in our private actions. There are so many different places where we might not be blameless in God's sight just to remember that, that God sees all to remember that God knows all and, and and so what God is wanting to work into our lives is that we are holy and blameless not just when we are in public but we are to be holy and blameless in private as well so he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight that that's what he's wanting to see in our lives, and and over on the in the comment side over here, Jessica saying, I understand. He's saying, he created us in his likeness. He created us in his likeness, and he created us to live in that likeness. He created us to live out that likeness. He created us to be like Christ. First John one six, which is kind of the theme verse of this uh, this little broadcast, is. Anyone who claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. This is the idea of of walking in his likeness, of living in his likeness, of being like Christ in this way. Yes, he created us in his likeness, and that means we're to grow up into that likeness. A lot of times what I'll see us do as Christians is, well, I have my rights, and I have my liberties, and I have my freedoms, and sometimes even in that very attitude we do not hear the character of Christ we are called uh, in our attitudes we are called in our thoughts we are called in our actions we are called in our words to live out Christ likeness it was marred by adam and eve it was uh, it, it was thrown aside by adam and eve and, and and the fact that we've been chosen now again a second opportunity To become like him is is what we have been granted. Now, let's continue on. He chose us in him. Now, there there are those words. In fact, I've suggested this study before. When you look at verse 3, you see uh, we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing to go through the New Testament, particularly these writings of, of Paul, but the epistles, all the epistles, and find every place that it talks about being in Christ, for Christ, through Christ, and see what it has to say. Verse 3, in Christ we've been given every spiritual blessing. Uh, in Christ we were chosen to be holy and blameless. So there there are those, just in those two uh, verses, we have incredible truth that we can ponder, that we can meditate upon, that can help us to reflect and become more and more the people that God wants us to become. Verse 5 now, it, it begins to move into the Word. It says, he predestined us, and now there's another, to be, to be adopted as his sons. Put that verse up there. He adopt he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ according with according to his pleasure and will. He predestined us again, here are the words to be predestined us to he predetermined that we would be adopted. Now we're beginning to get into predestination, predetermination, uh, choosing, election uh, is another one of those words and some people like to dance around election and say well it means something different than what it actually says we can't do that with the words because if we can do it there we can do it in other places there are other groups of people who like to say to us well the the bible really doesn't mean what it says there uh and and we as Christians go it means exactly what it says and yet we get to passages like this and we'll say well it really doesn't mean what it says well If we're going to be consistent, we have to take it and realize that it means what it says. Now, again, in verse 4 and in verse 5, there are these to be, T-O-B-E, prepositions, phrases, uh, directives that are given. Verse 4, we were chosen to be holy and blameless. In verse 5, we were predestined, which is kind of the same as chosen to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will. So here is the pleasure of his will is something uh, that that we need to hold on to. It's according to God's pleasure and God's will that he does these things. He predestined us to be adopted. Now we get into something a little bit different. To be adopted means that he's choosing to adopt us as his own. And and Priscilla has said in the comments for for. As a live listener listening, while, we are live in the broadcast, Priscilla is saying, "I'm so humbled to think I was chosen by God." now i, I would I would echo that, I would mirror that same uh, that same conclusion. i I am humbled when I think that God would choose me. I mean, many of you have heard my testimony i i was I was a rather unsavory fellow prior to the time that Christ chose me. Uh, in many ways, uh, I was uh, verbally an unsavory fellow. Um, in terms of my the substances that I enjoyed, uh, I was an unsavory fellow. Uh, in, in In terms of my uh, enjoyment of other humanity, I was an unsavory fellow. Uh, in terms of my attitude, with the anger that that I demonstrated on a regular basis, I was an unsavory fellow. I did not deserve at all. Uh, in any stretch of the imagination, uh, Paul calls himself uh, in Timothy the chief of sinners, and and I would want to argue with Paul on that point and think, no, I I am the chief of sinners, and yet we might point at someone else and go, well, they actually murdered someone, and uh, so they are the chief of sinners. Well, I, I would argue, I I look at it, at the way that my life was prior to Christ and would say, ah, I I'm just absolutely amazed that God would go, I want you. Now, the reason that this um, is amazing to us on the human side is we're looking at ourselves. And yet when God looks at all humanity, there is none that deserve his adoption. All who sinned and all missed the mark, all fall short of the glory of God and yet, God chooses freely in his own determination to draw some to himself, to adopt some as his children, uh, and he will not adopt all. Now, there is some language down here that we may not get to today, um, but God adopts those he chooses. Yes, the word choice. There is, uh, There are some who re- will revolt, uh, but frankly... I would rather serve a God who is sovereign and able to do what his power and his wisdom determine than a God who cannot do what his wisdom and power determine. I will tell you, I do not understand, I have not yet been able to wrap my head around two um, truths, two theological tenets that, that maintain tension. One of those is God's elective will, the fact that God will elect some, uh, and also the tension that comes with the free will of man. Do we not have a free will? I believe that we read both in the Scriptures, but I'm not going to dance around the reality that, that God will elect some and not all because the Bible says that he does that. Now that may grieve our hearts that may cause some people to say, well if that's the way God is and this this by the way is one of the uh, one of the arguments that an agnostic or an atheist would give as a reason to not turn to Christ is this very thing because they do not understand the doctrine they do not understand the the utter otherness of God they do not understand the the utter transcendence of God and and friends, I'm trying to boil this down to keep it as simple as I can. But there are majestic realities in theology that that we that, that we need to maintain as grand and noble and and near untouchable. We can see them just over the hill, but but yet just out of our out of our touch, out of our sight in terms of the our ability to totally comprehend these things. This, this is one of those themes another theme would be the theme of uh the Trinity the three in one um another theme would be how Christ is totally God and totally man simultaneous at the same time those are things that that people often will conclude uh, some some theological understanding of and yet there are other people on the other side of perhaps the equation saying but what about what about what about and and i maintain that there is tension in these things that that some of these things continue as mystery uh, beyond the comprehension of man god has given us just enough uh insight into some of these realities to know that they're mysterious to know that they are marvelous uh and and, and to know that that, that they uh make a difference in our lives if we would choose to accept them. Now, verse 4, again, chosen to be holy and blameless. Verse 5, predestined to be adopted. But the word predestined, to predestine something is to predetermine something. It is, it is to say that this will be, uh, this will be what will happen. To predestine is to predetermine the adoption of certain people. And you say, but God isn't like that. Yes, God is like that. And do I understand it? No. Do I do I get why God would choose some and not others? No. Now some would point and say, well, it's because God knows what they will be like. God knows that they will that one that one will do evil and that the other will do good. Uh, and so God knew in advance the way that they would be, so He determined that He would choose them because He knew what they were going to be like. Now, there's all kinds of arguments that that you could. In fact, I would encourage you. I mean, listen to, um, listen, listen to some teaching by, and I'm going to just drop a couple of names here: John MacArthur. Uh, look up just, just put in John MacArthur, the election of God, uh, or. Uh, Predestination, John MacArthur, another good one. R.C. Sproul is, is in my opinion, very good to listen to. And there are others that that help make sense of this to us. Uh, and in this, trying to keep this boiled down as simply as I can, I, I want you to know that as I as I listened, as I've read, as I've looked at these things, I mean, sometimes it will make your head spin. It, it, it's rather heady, rather weighty type of stuff. But what would you choose? There, there are other passages that, uh, that underscore for us the predeterminative will of God, the fact that God has predetermined some things. One of those passages uh, is in Romans, the ninth chapter. Let me take you over there. Uh, and we're not going to look at all of this uh down at verse 9 I'm I'm sorry verse 6 it is not as though god's word had failed for those who not for not all who are descended from israel are israel in other words you might be a descendant but unless you also have the faith you you you're missing half the equation that's how i want to boil that down nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. I mean, the sense of that, again, there there is the there's the physical, biological, genetic. Yes, I am Jewish, but then there is the faith component, that other aspect of Abraham, which 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 is critical to to fully be uh, Abraham's children. On the contrary, it says it is not through Isaac that your offspring. Uh, on the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. In other words, now, now there's all kinds of other theological things that could happen with this, and I, I don't want to get into those things to confuse the issue. Uh, in other words, it is not the natural children, this is verse 8, who are God's children, but it's the children of promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. In other words, it's those of faith. Uh, Isaac came through faith. Ishmael did not. Uh, for this is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I'll return and Sarah will have a son. This He had to believe this. Before they believed this, before Sarah believed this, before they heard this, um, Sarah said, why don't you take my attractive young maidservant and have a child with her? Then you'll be able to have offspring. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, Abraham was, was full on man and looked at her and went, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And, but that was not the child that God has promised. So it says in verse 10, not only that, but Rebekah's children had one of the same father, our father, Isaac. Rebekah was Isaac's father. Uh, 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 try, try it again. Rebecca was Isaac's. Wife and uh, Isaac and Rebecca were the, were the father of their children, Jacob and Esau. Verse eleven says, "Yet before the twins were born or, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in here's this word in election might stand, not by works but by him who calls." She was told, "The servor serve. Try it again. The older will serve the younger." Verse eleven says this before they were born or before they had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose and election might stand. Now, some would say, but God knew what I what uh, Esau was going to be like. And yet Jacob was quite the shyster himself as you read the text back in the Old Testament. Verse 12 said, not by works, but by him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. Verse 13, just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Verse 16 says, it does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. We cannot work our way to heaven. We do not deserve heaven. You are not so great. I am not so great that that God would look at us and say, well, well, you're so wonderful. I want to have you in heaven with me. Now, oftentimes we will for inspirational purposes, flip that over and talk about how wonderful you are. And, and we'll even put it in songs that, that, you know, God doesn't want to have heaven without you. Well, you know, that, that might be a little bit skinny on truth when we realize that, that none of us deserve heaven. Now you might look around and think, "Well, I'm not as bad as that person. You know, I, I I haven't done what they have done, but yet you know what you have done. And and none of us deserve the mercy that God gives to us. You ever had a bad thought? You ever had a foul thought about somebody? You ever want to hurt somebody? You ever wish somebody would die? Uh, did Did you ever want to flip someone the birdie? Did you ever want to? Um, do you ever wish ill will upon somebody? Did you ever say something a little bit off? Did you ever do something a little bit off? Uh, are there days in your heart where you, where you know that your heart is evil and wicked? None of us deserve the mercy that God gives to us. God chooses to give us mercy. Verse 16, Romans 9, yes, we are in Ephesians 1, but this is a a corollary passage that I, I believe is critical for us to to bring into play here. Therefore, it does not depend on man's desire or effort, but God's mercy. Verse 17 says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that I might be proclaimed in all the earth. Paul will write to Timothy about some things are made for noble purposes and some some things are, are made for ignoble purposes. And, and here, Pharaoh was made for the very purpose to con- he continued to harden his heart so much so that God would, would, would do the, the marvelous, miraculous things that he did that would cause many to turn and to trust him, all because Pharaoh hardened his heart. God used the hardness of Pharaoh's heart for his purposes that... God used the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, as it says in the verse, verse 17, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Verse 18 says, therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, and and, and Paul uh, understood the questions that people would have says, one of you will say, then, what, then why does God still blame us for, for who resists his will? If, if my sinfulness is based upon God kind of making me do these things, and I don't really have a choice in them, then how can God hold me culp- culpable? It's interesting. God holds himself culpable. God created all things. To think about even evil being created by God. Some would say, well, no, he just allowed it, and it happened. Well, if, it, if everything is under the sovereignty of God, it, how could something happen that he didn't will to happen? That's another concept, another, another discussion for another day that would make your head spin. Often we'll say, no, evil is in the world. God brought evil. God allowed evil. Not that God is evil, but God uses evil even for noble purposes. Uh, and all the evil that the Pharaoh did and the Egyptians did to the Israelites, God ended up using for his own glory. It says this in verse 20, But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does the potter not have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? What if God choosing to show his wrath and make his power known bore with great patience the object of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he also called not only from the Jews but also from the Gentiles?' This passage goes on through here. I want to share with you a very personal, very real experience that I had. I began to understand Romans 9. In fact, I listened to another person you could listen to is John Piper uh, talking about these themes. You could listen to D.A. Carson, uh, You know, if you want to listen to some people. But uh, Piper took about eight months of a sabbatical. He was given that long, and he said he spent the entirety of the sabbatical Turning Romans nine inside out, backwards, upside down, uh, to try to understand it, and he walked away with a conclusion as simple as what it is stated: God is God, and God has the prerogative to do what God will do, uh, and and we, if we encounter His mercy, we are the beneficiaries of it. Uh, I began to understand these things and say there: God is sovereign, uh, and those who make heaven, do so not because they're great people, but because God has demonstrated mercy, and they have responded to that mercy. Thirty-four years ago, when my sister uh, suddenly died through the process of giving birth to a, a, her daughter, uh, I do not, did not know, and still do not know, whether my sister had ever received Christ, ever believed in Christ, ever responded to Christ. Yet I found incredible solace. I found incredible comfort that the God of all the earth would do right. I believe that in her near vegetative state, she had a an aneurysm and her brain that burst in childbirth. Uh, and I believe she could understand some of what was being said to her. It is possible that uh, on her deathbed, she may have uh, yielded herself to Christ perhaps, Um uh, but even if she did not, and she has perished in hell, I believe that the judge of all the earth has done right. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe in the greatness of God. I believe in the magnificence of God. I believe in the holiness of God. I believe in the righteousness of God. I believe in the mercy of God. And 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 while it may, while I may be as sad to, th- may be sad to think that my sister. Would, would perish in hell forever, uh, there is that, that, that small, very small margin of hope that she responded to Christ in, in, in that uh, brain-flooded state uh, and came to heaven because of an acknowledgment of Christ. And yet, if that is not the case, I believe the judge of all the earth does right. And judges rightly, judges righteously, judges based based on the standard of his uh, of his mercy demonstrated through Christ. Well, friends, we we have spent already uh, a, a good chunk of time around some some incredibly uh, weighty themes in the Scripture themes which I hope would give to you reason to pause, reason to think. Uh, do you have a God-centered gospel or a man-centered gospel? Do you have a God-centered faith that the faith is in God because of his sovereignty, or do you have a man-centered faith because you simply want to escape a punishment? I would encourage us to, to develop a God-centered faith, uh, a faith that trusts in God no matter what, uh, even even. When there are difficult, challenging truths like what we have read today. Well, we are about 45 minutes into it now. I'm going to let you get into your day. Lord, it is my prayer that you would take what we have looked at today, that you would help us to to wrestle with the words of scripture, both in Ephesians chapter one and here in Romans chapter nine, and perhaps do some further study. Lord, it is my prayer that everyone who listens would be caught up in the greatness of God, would be caught up in the magnificence of, of who you are, Lord. That is my prayer. Lord, there are many hard things happening in life. There are people struggling with cancer. There are people struggling with mental illness. There are people struggling with dementia and Alzheimer's. There are people who are struggling with money. There, there are people struggling because of war. There are people struggling because of being worn out. There are people struggling because of relationships. Lord, we pray that you would help people to lift their eyes to you, that they would find their help, that they would find their strength, that they would find their hope in you, whether it's here in, in Waldo County, Maine, or Warsaw whether it's in the United States or Ukraine, Lord, cause people to lift their eyes to you in life-transforming faith. Lord, hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, that is a wrap for today. I'm going to get you into your day. Have a great day, everyone. We will see you again tomorrow.